Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. Good morning. The first reading is from Acts chapter 9. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned to them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. She gave her, he gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Here ends the reading. The second reading is from the seventh chapter of Revelation. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne and their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who were clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty and will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here ends the reading. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson today comes from the 10th chapter of John. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah. 
the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade, and the people surrounded him. They asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you. You don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Maybe seated. So as I said, um, uh, this last week I spent a good amount of time listening to audio of young folks talking about uh, how they hear Jesus' voice, and it was a lot of audio. We had a lot of conversations about this. Um, but I have to tell you, it was easily one of the most life-giving and encouraging endeavors I've been on in a while. It gave me a little spiritual boost. And I was in need of one because I've been in a bit of a funk since Easter. If you didn't notice, if you were here on Easter, you might have noticed the absence of myself. I wasn't here, which is strange for a pastor. You'd think we'd be here on Easter. But on, um, on Good Friday, uh, it was early morning. I head to the doctor because the night before I had a very high temperature. And I went there to ask what was going on. They go, well, you got flu. And I go, great. And they go, better, you got two flus. You got A and B. And I go, that's, that's great. Um, and the wheels start turning because I got an Easter egg hunt coming up, right? And we got stuff we're going to do here. And I get a little worried about what this means. So I say, so she goes, you know, I realize this isn't ideal for your profession, but the plan is rest and don't spread this around. Cool? Because she could see on my face, I was going, how does this work? What's the way I do this with flu? And she's looking at me and I go, hypothetically though, just what if I didn't have a fever tomorrow on Saturday? I was all better. I could be there on Sunday. And she goes, well, no, I don't suspect that's going to happen. Um, you have a, I mean, it's a high fever. And he, okay, let's just say you've convinced yourself you are better. You'll definitely still be able to spread this, and that's a large and vulnerable population. And I'm like, right, 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 right. Right. But what if, though? What if? Fever-free, right? It could happen. She's like, do you need a note or something? And I was like, no, no. Well, next day comes along, it's Saturday. No Easter egg hunt, can't help with that. Um, so I check my temperature then, 102. Progress, folks. I had a 103 before. This is going great. I'll be right as rain. Um, my wife then reminded me, no, that's not good news at all. 102 is still bad. I was like, right, but it's going down. <laughs> so then uh, Easter morning comes, and like a kid at Christmas, I'm like up at 3 a.m. because you're with the flu, you're not really sleeping so hot. And I'm like, let me just quick check my temperature. Boop. 102 still. Ugh. The dream is dead. It's not happening for me. This isn't going to work. It's just not going to happen. It was worse. I still had a flu. I still had the fever the next day, too. So maybe the doctor was right. This wasn't likely to happen. And it happened on Tuesday. I still had one. And now I was developing this real deep, awful cough. So I go back to the doctor on Wednesday, and she's like, great. Your 
fever's down to 100, and you have pneumonia. So, good. And I'm like, that's, okay. Woof. I've been, like, soundly defeated at this point. I cannot will my way out of this. But here's those gears again. We have a tweens overnight at the zoo coming up that I'm very excited about that Friday night. It's Wednesday, and I'm like, so what if... I know you've given me this little inhaler thing. What if it makes me all better? Like tomorrow. And she's like, again, do you need a note or something? Pat, Pat reminded me, I did actually get a note because I wanted someone to wrote, write down, you had both flus and pneumonia. I was like, wow, I'm like a living Petri dish. So um, there I was. I was, I was done. It wasn't going to happen. I was soundly defeated. And all I could think about now this week, I'm all better. I feel great. I do start coughing sometimes. What are you going to do? Pneumonia is a heck of a thing. So this week, as I'm thinking about this story, all those deals I tried to make with my doctor, what if I'm better by tomorrow? What if, what if, what if instead of what you say, which is very likely because I know you're a highly trained professional, what if that doesn't happen? Um, all I was thinking about was Jesus' voice when they say, Jesus, could you just say what we want you to say plainly and say it again? Because I'm just real skeptical. And there's Jesus saying, I've told you. You just don't believe. And that critique landed for me. It landed hard. Because I just flat out wouldn't believe what I was hearing sitting there with a very inconvenient diagnosis. I was somehow convinced through my own force of will, as if somehow, like, I can outthink or outsmart flu. Somehow through my own desire to not be derailed by illness, my own desire to participate in Holy Week. I'm a Labrador retriever, folks. I'm super excited to be here when there's a lot of folks here. Somehow that desire would somehow just make me better despite my body and a highly trained professional saying, bud, that's not how this works. You can't do it. It's tough. Coming to grips with something you don't want to believe is true. Simply dealing with a reality you know is most likely the case. So again, I say, it was so great to hear the voice of these children and the voice of Jesus that they hear in their lives, reminding them that Jesus is working for good to serve, to bless, to bring peace, to comfort, to feed, food, to send us, to challenge us for the sake of the world, to be a people of peace and grace. It's so beautiful to hear children express that. It's great to know we have a community here that is imparting this perspective, not just of his words, but of Jesus' very character. I like how we're called to serve him, right? how we're called to forgive when we live our lives in the world. But truth be told, as much as I hear this story of Jesus and sing these songs about Jesus' characters and hope for peace for the world, as much as we say, Jesus sets a table, come to the table, it's set for all, it's set for all misfits. As much as we say, Jesus, forgive our trespasses because we, we are forgiving people and we will forgive the trespasses of others as well. We will do likewise in regards to our enemies. We will love them. We will pray for them. Despite saying it and hearing it, I think we do struggle to believe. And believe, I mean, change our ways to reflect those words. If you want an example, all we have to do is consider how we speak of our neighbors 
And I don't mean the people with the next house number. I mean our neighbors, people who inhabit this place with us, this planet, this creation. If someone who holds a different political opinion than you, maybe it's on a really hot-button issue for you, whether it's, maybe it's immigration or gun reform, something that really riles you up, who here has heard of Jesus before? Show of hands. Good. Figure you would. Um, you've heard a bit about him, I'm sure, a bunch. You've heard stories about him. Would you make an educated guess for me? How does Jesus hope you would respond in how you treat someone who has a completely, I mean sometimes just antithetical opinion than yours? How are you supposed to speak of them when you speak to others? Maybe people who might agree with you. Can you make an educated guess as to how Jesus would hope you'd treat these people who you seem to be in opposition with? Could you make one? Our kids made one. It's respect. It's love. It's recognizing these are my neighbors. What about somebody um, in need of assistance? Could be a complete stranger. Could be somebody you're even highly skeptical of. Could you make an educated guess? Knowing what we know about Jesus... How are we called to respond? You can probably make a guess, right? How does Jesus hope we'll respond? We heard it from kids. Confidently. Daring confidence and a trust. You give one coat, heck, give your shirt too. I actually heard one kid say that. He goes, you're supposed to give like everything to people if they need it. We know that. We know that God is calling us to be courageous and servanthood and selflessness. We know that. We've heard from Jesus countless times in these pews. But do we listen? Because I'm guilty of this. When confronted with some of these things, we just talked about someone with a different opinion than me, someone who I'm skeptical of, who I don't know if I should help, I should sacrifice for. I don't go, hey, I remember what Jesus says I'm supposed to do. Instead, what I do is very similar to what our people in the story do, and they go, look, Jesus, if you want me to do something, I'm going to need you to spell it out plainly, specifically a sign or something, or really just tell me, command me if you must. Despite the fact that he's already spoken on this matter. This has already been covered. Our children could repeat it to you if you just ask them. We know what God requires. We know God's hope for all creation. Heck, on a whole myriad of things. Listening to Jesus isn't that tricky. We know Jesus' response to violence. Turn the other cheek. Right? You could say that right away. We know Jesus' response to his enemies. You love them. You forgive them. We know how Jesus responds to his fear of death. He confronts it. Yet we say to ourselves, like I said to the doctor, okay, I hear you, but what if, wait, what if, what if I'm in danger? What if I'm very certain this is a bad idea and I'm afraid? And what if, I mean, look, you can't expect me to always respond with grace and peace, right? Right? And we ignore the voice of the one who was nailed to a cross and then said of the ones who nailed him to the cross, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. We don't hear that voice that has repeatedly told us, your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is sin. Your enemy is hatred. The enemy is distrust. The enemy is violence. The enemy is the voice in your head that tells you your neighbor is to be feared. That voice in your head that says, your enemies, they're to be destroyed because they don't count the way that you count. Your enemy is the voice in your head that says, you, you are called to be a, a person of, of, of accumulation. 
You are to live the good life. And the good life is the life of risk aversion and distrust. It has nothing to do with faith. The good life is about fear, not courage. The good life is about judgment, assessments. It's not about mercy. The good life is really about self-preservation, the accumulation of things to protect you, things that really protect you when things get tough, wealth, possessions. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about daring generosity. And truth be told, I've heard that voice. Anyone else heard that voice? It's pretty common. And when I hear it, a lot of times I go, that sounds really logical. That makes a lot of sense. That sounds very safe. But if I'm being honest, who here would say that sounds at all like the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ? Me saying it, I saw a bunch of faces like, what is he saying? Because it doesn't sound at all like Jesus. The good news for me this week, I didn't hear that other voice once when talking to our children. That's awesome. That's fantastic news because thank God our kids hear promise. Our kids hear it and they believe that faith is important, that healing is a promise, that hope is a a posture, and it's beautiful. How do we get ears like that? New ears. I mean, maybe more appropriately, there are old ears. The ears we had before we were so convinced that it was foolish to believe in something so beautiful. So beautiful as a world restored to grace, unmerited favor, and peace. How do we get those ears? Great news. I actually have a practical answer to that question. I know a lot of times pastors struggle. We struggle to answer these things. We ponder a lot. But I really do have one. I'm I'm reminded of a rather mundane process that can be provided and applied to our faith life. And I learned it in North Dakota, of all places. I am a Floridian, native, and I spent three years in North Dakota, three and a half years. And let me tell you, I learned a lot about a lot of things. Cold. Um... (laughs) Also, though, I learned about train tracks, learned about railroad crossings. As a kid growing up, like usually in cosmopolitan areas, if you see a train tracks, you see the ding, 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 ding. Not so in rural North Dakota. They just got those little circle signs. You're supposed to check yourself. Don't drive into a train. So I came up to one of these and was like, ooh, danger. I'm going for it. And I did. And then I was talking to a farmer I was visiting, and he, uh, he says, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty good idea. But uh, more than stopping and looking, no, the weather can get kind of bad here, and these trains can pick up pretty, pretty high speeds. You're going to want to roll that window down of yours, turn that radio down, and listen. And I go, didn't do that. You know, you don't want to get too comfortable just looking. He's saying, no matter what, listen. Listen for the train. I think when we are in one of those moments, when perhaps we're frustrated, confused, agitated, or perhaps even outraged, those moments where the heart of Jesus' message, I mean the heart of it, love your neighbor, is chucked out the window to our own judgment and accusations of one another, what if we simply stopped, took a breath, looked at the situation, avoided reacting in anger or accusing or judging, because that always ends in putting somebody on a cross, And what if we just listened for Jesus? What do you think we'd hear? Can you think of any instances where Jesus started saying, I'll tell you who's to blame for all your problems. It's your co-workers. 
I'll tell you who's to blame for all my problems. It's, it's uh, S- S- Samaritans or Gentiles. It's Caesar, I tell you. They're the enemy. You won't hear that. Or you might, but it definitely ain't from Jesus. Listen for that voice of Jesus. Perhaps we'd hear something like what our kids are talking about. We'd hear something about loving our neighbors. We'd hear something about this is a child of God just like you. Hearing with new ears, I'll admit, is a discipline. It's a daily commitment to stop, to look, to listen. And listen for that voice that will absolutely comfort. Yes. It's also a voice that's going to challenge us at times. Challenge us to offer that unmerited favor that will remind us we are all in this thing together. God is making all things new. All means all. That's you and me, folks. We're in need of being remade too. All things, your friends, your family, absolutely. Even your enemies, perceived real or not real, they're being made new too. Your loved ones and the ones you struggle to love are all being made new. And for that reality, for this invitation daily to hear with this new ears, I say thanks be to God for a message that says over and over, you're mine. I'm with you. Nothing's going to take you from my hand. Nothing. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.